Well, good morning, Fellowship Bible Church, even online. Can you see me over there? Then if you can't, those are the best seats in the house, right there. Hey, uh, before we get into uh, the Word a little bit, um, I, we, we just need to, um, uh, I think we need to do the Fellowship Bible Church wave, right? So, so we're going <laughs> to... We're going to start over there, and, and go ahead and just raise your hands up, you know. It, it's Pentecost Sunday, right? Well, no, hold, hold it, you're way ahead of it. I didn't think we had that many Pentecostals in our group. So we're going to, can you hear me back there on the hill? All right. Those are the back row Baptists back there. Back row Baptists. Okay, so here we go. But we just kind of follow my, raise them up. Here we go. The FBC wave. Oh, and then we go back, go back, go back. Woo! One more time. All right. Not bad. Now we ought to do it with our hands in our pocket and pull out our wall. Shouldn't we do that? You know, do it all together at one time. Anyway, glad you could be here. Hope you're able to be with us online. I um, guess we had some technical difficulties at first, but we've got it going, so that's good. Um, in a recent uh, survey conducted by YouGov last fall, it said that 52% of parents surveyed said they would sit down to eat with their families at least four to six times a week. Um, 30% of those surveyed of that group said they actually eat together as a family every single day. Now, I think that's kind of encouraging news. I didn't think it would be quite that high. Um, another study, however, conducted by New York University recently found that the frequency of family dining together has actually decreased 33% over the last 20 years. So 20 years ago, there was a lot more family eating together than there is today. Um, in, a, in a similar survey, it is uh, explained at least that 60 years ago, the average family dinner time took a little over 60 minutes, over an hour, family dinner time. Today, that survey said it takes about 12 minutes. We eat and we run. But... We're still eating together, at least so it seems. Lisa and I, we raised four children, and we kind of know a little bit about dinner times, the silliness of it, the uh, constant arguing, the constant reminders, go wash your hands. Did you wash your hands? Go wash your hands. And then more silliness and more uh, laughing and, and out-of-control stuff and chaos. We've been there. We've done that. Um, the Apostle Paul wrote a passage uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 4, that says this, There must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather the giving of thanks. I'm convinced that Paul wrote that right after he visited a family of four, their dinner hour. Um, family meals can be challenging here in the earthly realm, but you know what? They can also be challenging in the spiritual realm, the spiritual realm of family meals together. Uh, we 
have suspended for a number of weeks our study of the book of Romans. We'll pick that up uh, later and we get into chapter 6. But for a few weeks, I mentioned last week, we're going to be doing something related to the church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God. And we talked about last week how we enter the family through the wonderful gift of adoption. Um, We have a, a new relationship with God that we can enjoy. He is our Father. And we can enrich each other as the body of Christ uh, through our love and care and the giftedness that God has given to us. But just like earthly families can, can have trouble and tension and there can be issues around that family meal, the Apostle Paul had to address some things to the Corinthian church because they too were having some issues around the family meal time. I want to invite you to take your Bibles to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is addressing some issues related to the uh, family meal time. He lays out some of the problems related to that family meal time starting in verse 17. So 1 Corinthians 11. And uh, we'll start with verse 17. Let me read it. But in giving this instruction, I don't praise you because you come together not for better, but for worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions that exist among you. And in part, I believe it. For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Verse 20 says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat, the Lord's Supper, for in your eating each one takes his own meal first. One is hungry, another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses in which you can eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? No, in this I will not praise you. In the early church, when they would get together like this, of course, it wasn't large gatherings. It was typically small gatherings in private homes. And as they get, got together, they usually had a, um, a meal together first, kind of like a potluck, a potluck dinner, supper. Um, they would bring their food. They would eat together. And then they would um, have the Lord's table and fellowship around the Lord's table And then, of course, there would be teaching and instruction. It was that, what they called the love feast, the agape meal, that kind of gave a lot of the problems. Because the the rich people who had the fine food, they would come with their fine food and and eat amongst themselves. And the the poor people who just had, um, you know, the basic necessities, if that, kind of ate by themselves. And there was this disparity between the the wealthy and the, and the poor people. The Church of Jesus Christ in the Corinthian setting was, was not very unified at all. Um, people got drunk, Paul says. They would lavish upon themselves their own fine dining while other people went without anything. And so Paul is trying to correct the Corinthians in these Um, issues of their meals together, their family meals. They were not exemplifying good family practice and family unity. A couple of problems that we see from this passage with the Corinthian church. Uh, 
First of all, it was a universal problem. It was the church gathered. He said in verse 17, when you come together, or verse 18, when you come together as a church, their gatherings as a church displayed a, a hierarchical disparity. They, there was not unity. There was not a, a graciousness, a, a love that was being displayed. They were coming together not for good, but for worse. The accusations, as far as Paul was concerned, were quite believable. He said, and I actually in part believe it. Paul knowing the evil of the human heart. Paul knowing the problem of sin that infests all of us. This idea of wanting myself to look better. A self-centeredness that says, you know, I, if, if I can raise and elevate myself above you, that'll make me look better. This, this attitude that says, um, you know, I'm pretty good, and I need to feel pretty good about myself. Paul says, I understand it. The sinful heart of man. When you come together, he says, you're not coming together for better. You're coming together for worse. And he says, you know, there are some advantages. Verse 19 says, there are some benefits of this divisiveness. He said, it kind of, it shows where the real spiritual-minded people are. It reveals that. It reveals who is being controlled by the Spirit. Second of all, there was a problem with how the church was regarding one another, how they were viewing one another. There were divisions. There were factions. Again, the rich were discarding the needs of the poor. There was a disparity. They were not concerned about each other. They were concerned about their own needs. It says in verse 21, when you, you're eating, each one takes his own supper first. One is hungry, another is drunk. Why don't you do that in your own homes, says Paul? You despise the church of Jesus Christ, verse 22. There was another reason that this problem was so evident in the Corinthian church. Ultimately, it came down to their view of Jesus. They were discarding the Lord Jesus. Verse 20 says, Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. They were disregarding the Lord himself. Um, the issues here for the family gathering. Uh, now Paul will correct that. And starting in verse 23, he gives the, here, here's the real reason to gather. Verse 23, I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. For the Lord Jesus, on the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks... He broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. And therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's correcting their, um, whether it's a misunderstanding, but he's correcting their sinful attitudes 
when they gathered together as a family, as a spiritual family. When they got together in their meal time as a, as a body of, of believers. And he said, look, you, you're missing the point. He said, this is, a, this is a family time. This is not about who's got the best food or, or who doesn't. This is not about inequality. It's about equality. It's about a unity. It's about a oneness. He said, when you come together, you're coming together as a family. We're eating around the table together as a family, and they were forgetting that. Second of all, he tells them this is a remembrance time, verse 24 and 25. We're doing this to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not a time to self-elevate. This is not a time to to put oneself at, at a higher level than someone else. This is not a time to make yourself feel better about yourself. We come together to remember the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a remembrance time. Thirdly, he said in verse 26, this is a proclamation time. We're here to proclaim the Lord's death and we're to do it until he returns. We're to proclaim the the centrality of the gospel. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and he died on the cross. We're proclaiming his death when we gather. When the early church gathered, the book of Acts proves this out, they got together for that communion service as a family to remember the Lord, to proclaim his death until he comes. Fourthly, Paul says in verse 29 and 31, this is a time for self-examination. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself, and so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and, and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. We come together, and part of the gathering of the body is to take a self-look. We come and gather on the Lord's day and we say, Lord, search me and try me. I'm coming into your presence. I'm here to worship you. Here together as a family with the body of Christ, with brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, what is there in my heart that doesn't measure up? Lord, what is there in terms of my relationship with you, God Almighty, with with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, Lord, search me, try me. And it's a time of self-examination, Paul says. He also says in verse 26, finally, it's a time of anticipation. We do this until the Lord comes. In just a moment, we're going to participate in, in the Lord's table. And we'll be doing this until the Lord comes. Because he's called us to do that. You see, when Paul is trying to correct the Corinthian problem of their family mealtime, he's refocusing their attention upon the real reason we gather, and it's all about Jesus. It's all about who he is and what he's accomplished for us. That though he was rich, he became poor, so that we who were poor might become rich in Jesus. And how the Corinthians were acting in this love feast and in the Lord's Supper was diametrically opposed to the heart of the gospel. The love of God who divested himself, Jesus did, of all his privileges. He came into our world. He came into our domain. And he walked among us. 
He, the almighty creator, the wisdom of God, came into our world. He became a bond slave, and he suffered, and he died. And now the Corinthian church was making a mockery of the gospel by how they were treating one another. Verse 27, mark it and mark it well. Therefore, whoever eats and of the bread and drinks of the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. What is that unworthy manner? Well, in the context, it's not honoring brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not understanding that we're here to gather for the glory of God. It's looking down upon others. It's holding aught against someone else. It's disregarding the grace of God by elevating oneself. It's an unworthy manner. And when we come together at the Lord's table and we come with selfish hearts and we come with ill will against someone else, a brother or sister in Christ, Paul says, and it's a very serious charge, we are guilty of the body and the blood of Christ. When we assemble and partake of the Lord's table, it's a time specifically designated to remember the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And when we assemble, it's his crossed work that we are to focus on. And we can't do that if we hold contempt in our hearts towards other believers or if we disregard other people's needs, if we are guilty of demeaning the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. You do not judge the body rightly, says Paul. Something is a foul when it comes to how you view the body, the family of Christ. It's partly why we just decided over the next number of weeks we're going to do this series on the church. As we have been dispersed for so many weeks and now trying to gather like this, and what a great and glorious morning. Thank you all for, for being able to come here. Um, but but we, can, we can sometimes forget the value of the body of Christ over these last 10, 11 weeks. We need to be reminded of that, and so the next number of weeks, that's what we're going to do. Disregarding Christ and his work on the cross, treating others with contempt, God does not take that lightly. How we view, how we treat one another, you see, is a reflection of how we view the gospel, the cross of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 4, verse 11 John reminds us, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And if we forget that first part, if God so loved us, and if that is forgotten, it's going to be awfully hard to love one another. It's going to be awfully hard to understand the value of the, the body of Christ. We're going to forget about one another. We're going to disassemble ourselves. We're, we're going to remain isolated, and we cannot do that. The gospel of Jesus Christ demands that we view each other properly and rightly. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another, is the command of Scripture. What's the solution to the problem of the, the family gathering in the Corinthian church? Again, verse 28, a man must examine himself, and so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For when he eats and drinks, and eats and drinks unworthily, he eats and drinks judgment to himself because he does not judge the body rightly. 
Let a man examine himself. Self-examination. It's the main thing that we need to examine. Not others' examination. Self-examination. I didn't like the way that person looked at me. In fact, I don't like the way that person dresses. I, I, don't, like the, I don't like the way that person uh, handles their, their family finances. I don't like the way that person, I don't like the color of their skin. No, this is a self-examination. What's your heart attitude when you come to the Lord's table? Have you confessed your sins? Have we apologized to one another? Are we right with the Lord? Verse 29 again says, For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself. God's judgment, he says, can fall on those who don't judge the body rightly. You see how seriously God takes it? Paul continues dealing with the problem of the Corinthian church members who are despising the church of God. And he says in verse 30, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and even a number of you sleep. That is, they've died. The seriousness of the body of Christ and how we view one another as we gather together. Physical illness and even death, Paul is saying, has occurred in the Corinthian church precisely because they did not judge the body of Christ rightly. Oh, we need to take another look at our own hearts and how we view the gathering of the body, our, our place in it, and the corporate meaningfulness of the body of Christ. Verse 33 and 34 kind of Paul's final application. He says, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Defer to one another. In other words, love one another. And if anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that you will not come together for judgment. And the remaining matters I'll arrange when I come. In other words, Paul is saying, this is of such high priority, how we view each other in the body of Christ. Other things I'll deal with when I get there, but I cannot let this go by. I've got to deal with it. And he writes this letter. What does this tell us about God? What do we need to walk away with this morning? Very simply this. God cares how we treat one another. God cares how we view each other. God cares how we value one another. God cares about how our perspective of the church, of the body of Christ, really is. Again, the essence of sin is, a, is this self-centeredness. It's putting me above God. It's putting me above everybody else. Sin automatically devalues others and raises me up to a higher platform. That's what sin does. Sin automatically discriminates discriminates economically. It discriminates racially. It discriminates nationally. It can discriminate against how one looks. That's what sin does. And the problem of the Corinthian church was a problem of a sinful heart. I'm better than you. I don't like your kind. I'll choose not to eat with you. And God hates sin. Sin in the body of Christ. 
He takes it very seriously. You know, once again, we see our country in a complete mess and meltdown, cities on fire. We see the pain and the anguish of, of a George Floyd's family. A man that apparently, by all news accounts, was a Christ follower whose life was ended, that has erupted in, in, in anger and rioting and burning and looting, deep frustrations of, of frustrations, anger, of hatred. When people don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, that's the solution. We erupt because we've been wronged. Racism is wrong. It's a sin. Economic disparity is wrong. It's a sin. But the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, that's where you see the cross is the great equalizer of us all. It's the body of Christ. It's the family of God that should show what real humility is, what real selflessness is, what real love and kindness. It's not based on economic uh, disparities. It's not based on the color of one's skin. It's not based on sexual identity. If we claim the, the name of Jesus Christ, then we're brothers and sisters. We're the family of God. We need to reflect that. Of all the institutions in this country, only the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, has the answer to the economic, to the racial bigotry that's going on in our country. Only the body of Christ can do that. Let the church be the church. Otherwise, in the Corinthian church, Paul says, you're disregarding the body of Christ. You're not judging it rightly. How we treat one another is directly related to how we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work of Christ on the cross. The cross is the great equalizer. It's a great leveler of all because we all come before the cross and we all stand as condemned sinners worthy of hell. We're not going to stand before God and say, well, God, look at the color of my skin. Well, God, look at the, my economic level. Uh, or, God, don't you see the good works that I performed? And as we've seen in our study of the book of Romans, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all need Jesus. And Jesus is the only answer to the sinfulness of our age. Yes, you can riot in the streets. Yes, you can go peacefully and vote in the voting booth. Jesus is the only answer for the mess of this world. And the body of Christ needs to rise up and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only solution in this world. God's love, God's mercy shown to us when our sins were paid for on the cross. And the free invitation given, whosoever believeth shall be saved. Our love for one another can then be expressed 
in the most practical of ways. How we forgive someone who has wronged us. How we act patiently with someone that we have struggled with spiritually. How we provide for each other's needs. How we rejoice with those who rejoice. How we come alongside and weep with those who weep. How we think less of ourselves and more of someone else. How we act like Jesus and conformed into his image more day by day. That's what Paul said to the Philippian church in chapter 2 when he said, Make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. And do not merely look out for your own personal interests. Look out for the interests of one another. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, be like Jesus. And folks, the only way you can be like Jesus, John the Baptist said, I must decrease and he must increase. We live every moment of every day. We get up in the morning and say, Lord, not I, but Christ in me. Lord, I've got to decrease today. As I'm encountering my neighbors, as I'm encountering people in the community, I'm, I'm encountering brothers and sisters in Christ, in the body of Christ. Lord, I must decrease. And by the power of your enabling spirit, get me out of the way and help me love other people. When we see this racial inequality, we step out and we say, Lord, help me to love like you would love. Economic disparity, help me to love like you would want me to love. Lord, how, how can the gospel inform my life as I walk today and encounter people? I must decrease. He must decrease. Have this attitude in yourself, which was in Christ Jesus. We come together as a body of Christ, as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And when the early church gathered, I think there was this constant reminder that the cross is the great leveler. It's the great equalizer. And so every time the early church got together, they partook of the Lord's table. Yeah, they had their love feast and that went awry, but then they gathered around the Lord's table. And it was the Lord Jesus himself who said, when you come together, come together in oneness around the table. Remember what I've done for you. Remember the cross. Remember my selfless act of dying for you. Remember me. And so we're going to do that right now as a body of believers. And at home, if you're watching this, you can take the elements, go get them now. And as a family, as you're gathered, or if you're a group, a group of people gather together, get your, your bread, your, your cup together. We've provided it here at FBC, this little contained packet here. We actually order these clear back in the early March in anticipation of uh, these events. There's two little coverings. There's a, there's a top plastic covering that you pull away, and there's a wafer there, a little, um, a little, just a little wafer. And then underneath that is the, the juice. Paul said it this way, I receive from the Lord 
that which I deliver also to you, that in the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks, and when he broke it, he said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So pull that top little tab. Here's the wafer. Let me have a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that you gave your son, Jesus, to die for us, to break his body and do it willingly to go to the cross. Though he was rich, he became poor, that we who were in spiritual poverty might become spiritually wealthy in Christ. Thank you for giving your body for us. And Father, as we partake right now, we do this in remembrance of you, in Jesus' name. Let's partake together. Then take that, that cup. You can gently pull the, the top part off, pull it back. It's the fruit of the vine, and Jesus in that last supper took that cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Let's partake together. Now in the quietness of this moment, I would like you to bow your head, please. It's time to reflect back to the Lord. In this moment of quiet, contemplative communion with our God, I want you to thank him for what he's done for you, what we've just remembered. Thank him deep down in your soul. Cry out to him, oh God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done for me. And then ask him, Lord, is there something in my life over this next week that I need to deal with you, with one another? Is there anything in my life that doesn't measure up to your love and grace and mercy and how I view and value the body of Christ. Just a moment, go to the Lord in quietness. Heavenly Father, speak to our hearts. 
through your Holy Spirit. Um, encourage us or convict us right now in this quietness, Lord. In the midst of the beauty of your creation, in the midst of a world that is hurting, in a nation that is torn apart and divisive, in the midst of the evidence of sin and shame, the sorrow and pain of living in a fallen world, Lord, speak to our hearts. How can we be, Lord, your people in the midst of all this? What do you want us to do corporately as a church, individually as a member of the body of Christ? How does my life need to align, Lord, better with your life? Lord Jesus, you need to be formed and fashioned within us. Father, thank you for the power of the gospel. I thank you, Father, that we see it and we witness it. I thank you, Father, for the, for the text I got from a, a black pastor friend of mine uh, yesterday who just texted and said, I love you. I was able to text him as well and say, I love you, brother. We're brothers in Christ. The harmony and the unity and the oneness that comes because of Jesus Oh, Father, we are to let our light shine in such a way that people will see that. And they will not come to trust their representatives and their government or, or their own anger or their own evil designs to reform or rewrite or recreate or deconstruct our society. Only the power of the Holy Spirit can bring that about. And Father, we praise you. That one day, that'll all be realized on this earth when Jesus, you the King, come back to reign supreme. We long for that day, but until that day comes, and until you plant your feet on the Mount of Olives and right all wrongs and reign supreme, you have left us, the body of Christ, the church of Jesus Christ, in this world to proclaim the good news you've come to forgive us of our sins you've paid for them to offer us new life so that old things will be passed away and all things can become new again father in jesus name we thank you for what you've done for us and what we've been able to celebrate today and as we continue our worship lord may your holy spirit Move in our hearts and empower us to respond to you in a way that pleases you as the body of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.